You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Boy, I've enjoyed the music service today and uh, all the songs, Oh, Worship the King. I mean, there's so much richness in those hymns. And too many people have just discarded the hymns and said, you know, they're not relevant anymore. Um, But there's richness in that language you just can't seem to find in modern English sometimes. And I'm grateful for the truths. I'm thankful thankful that God's grace is greater than my sin. I mean, I hope we never get over that and never lose sight of how much that that means to us this morning. And and, uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 21 today. Genesis chapter 21, and one of the things about uh, Eastside Baptist Church for our guests here this morning that we, that we will always do our best at is make the Word of God the, the centerpiece of our services. And we need to hear from Him more than you need to hear from me. And uh, we'll look at this text this morning, and I hope it'll be a help to us. Um, Genesis chapter 21, we'll begin in verse 8. Let's stand together. Genesis 21. And uh, we'll, be, we'll actually begin reading in verse 1. Let's just let's catch up from last week. Because today's message really is a continuation. And, and let me just remind you, last week the message was this. That as Abraham and Sarah released uh, their, their abilities to have a child on their own and let God take control. When we allow the supernatural to come into our lives and we surrender to the supernatural then he does something that no one else can do and that he gives us perfect satisfaction. The su- surrender to the supernatural brings satisfaction you'll never have any other way. And let me just tell you this morning, if you've come in here this morning and you don't know that you are a child of God, you don't know that you're saved this morning, you've never placed your faith in Christ alone, uh, he can satisfy you in a way no one else ever could if you will place your faith in him. Your soul could be secure with him, and you could leave this morning having supernatural work done in your life. And I, 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 want you to, I want to encourage you to submit to whatever he leads you to do this morning. Let's begin reading in verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 1. Genesis 21, verse 1. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, At the set time of which God had spoken to him, and Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. It means laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. There's the satisfaction. So that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said... Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah, here's where the story turns. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, that's Ishmael, by the way. The son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. So apparently Ishmael, this teenage boy at this time, is mocking Isaac. And Sarah has, wants to have none of that. Look at verse 10. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, 
cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Mama bear comes out right there. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the, thy bondwoman and all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and set her down over against him a good way off, as it were a a bow shot. For she said, let me not see the death of this child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. I really wanted to preach on this back half. Because there's a lot of good stuff here as well. Uh, let's, let's finish reading. Verse 18. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water, and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness, and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, uh, Paran and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. It's just strange, a little bit of a strange ending to the story. Um, and I really want to focus on, on the first half of this because if you read a passage like this, it makes you feel like Christian life, if we're going to apply it to ourselves, it can feel like a roller coaster. And that, you know, it starts out good and things look good. One minute you're up, but then the next minute something comes along and it gets you down. And you think things are going well, and then suddenly they're not. And, and our response to the changes, our response to the changes determines how it ends for us. And uh, there's, there's a lot to learn here, but I'm going to focus today on this message, calling it today, Losing to Win. It, it's often in life not what we desire to gain, but what we're willing to lose that makes the biggest difference. Because I think a lot of us would like to have something good. But not all of us are willing to give up the things we need to in order to get there. Sometimes you're going to have to lose to win. And I hope that we'll see that lesson in Abraham's life this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for letting us read it together as a church. I pray that you'd help us this morning to focus on this truth and Help me to convey it in a way that makes sense, in a way that pierces, Lord, beyond just our minds, but into our hearts, and that you do a work in our spirits this morning. Lord, we love you. Pray that you bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I was recently at a, uh, at a restaurant, and um, of course, many restaurants these days have televisions, and on the television uh, was a soccer match. And I don't watch soccer all that much. I know we have some soccer fans in the room here today, a few. Um, but when I, I, as I was watching the game, I wasn't really listening, couldn't listen to the announcers. I was just watching them play, and a few things stood out to me. 
Um, number one, um, I don't know what the uh, trophy is called for winning the World Cup or something like that, but I think it should probably be called an Oscar because the best actors in the world are soccer players. <laughs> I was watching them and a guy would kick and barely make contact with the other guy and he's on the ground holding his leg rolling around as if his leg is broken in half. And yet 30 seconds later, he's back up like nothing happened. So that was the first observation. The second observation I made was that they were nonstop moving. Now, if you're, if you're into sports, then, you know, yeah, I can understand why you'd be into soccer because they're moving all the time and it's nonstop action. The third thing that I noticed, though, was the one that really struck me, and that is, um, you know, the, the point of soccer is to kick the ball into the other team's net, the other team's goal. And so you would think that in soccer that the ball would always be moving forward, that they would always be kicking the ball toward the goal. But that's not the case. If you've ever watched soccer, sometimes a guy will take the ball up on one side of the field and realize his block, his, his path to the goal is blocked, so he kicks the ball backwards and tries to get it to the other side and see if they can find a way that way. I was surprised and amazed how often the soccer ball in soccer is actually going backwards and not forwards. And maybe it's just the pastor in me, or maybe I'm over-spiritualizing it a little bit, but I started thinking about the Christian life, and how it's very often, it seems like in our Christian life, uh, we're going backwards more than we're going forward. But also, and beyond that, I started thinking about the fact that sometimes you have to be willing to lose some ground in order to gain some ground. You have to be willing to leave some things behind if you want to move forward. And I really believe that's the lesson that we see in Abraham's life here. And I was thinking about this in other areas, but like in gardening, you know, there are times in order to make a plant more productive, you have to prune the parts of the plant that aren't productive. In our finances, in, if we want to get ahead and get out of debt, there are things that in our finances, you're going to have to give up some things if you want to start moving forward on a financial level. And this is true in so many areas of life. I was thinking in the Christian life, you know, there will be times that we have to let something go if we're going to move forward. We're going to have to release something that's holding us back if we're going to get where God wants us to be. And I really believe that's what this lesson in Genesis 21 is all about. See, don't forget that Abraham is God's chosen vessel to be the father of the nation of Israel. It is through Abraham's line that the eventual Messiah would come. Jesus Christ would come from this family through Israel. And the birth of Isaac was the confirmation of those promises. And I imagine that once Isaac was born, Abraham thought, okay, now everything's going to be easier. Finally, Isaac is here and we can relax and we can just enjoy life. And it sounds like he was. If, I mean, in verse 8, and we're not going to read it again, but in verse 8, it sounds like things are going great. He's so pleased with Isaac that he throws a party when he's weaned. Some people will throw a party for anything, I think. You know, I, I always wanted to throw a party the day that a child, um, one of our kids stopped wearing diapers. Because I was always looking at, like, you know, dollar signs. And for 10 years, we've been buying diapers. And this is a day to celebrate. We'll have a reception at the church. It'll be fun for everybody. You know, I mean, and really, Abraham throws a party because Isaac is weaned. And I'm thinking, maybe the party should be for Sarah, you know. 
So he throws this party and, and, and he's excited about Isaac and, and, and he's, Isaac's getting the attention. But, but, but pretty soon you realize not everybody has a great reaction to the attention that Isaac is receiving. Because in verse 9, Ishmael says, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, that's Ishmael, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. So here's, here's baby, or small child Isaac, and he maybe is a few years old, maybe he's older, you know, depending on, on what you, who you read and, and what you think about weaning in those days. But, but if, if, if Ishmael's about 13 years older than Isaac, and Isaac is three or four, that makes Ishmael a teenager, and, he's, and, and Sarah catches him mocking Isaac. And you say, well, that's what brothers do. They're half-brothers. They, they give each other a hard time. And, and he, he's a teenager. I mean, what do you expect from teenagers? But this, this was probably more than just a little mocking. And we're going we're gonna to turn there in a minute. But Galatians chapter 4 calls this, compares this to persecution. And so there's some serious scoffing going on. And when Sarah sees it, she doesn't respond very well, understandably. In verse 10, she's ready. She goes to Abraham and says, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be the heir with my son, even with Isaac. She's ready to kick them both out of the house. And, and I'm not surprised because Sarah and Hagar have dealt with their issues in the past. And there's a lot of drama already in the house. I mean, if, I mean, if you were looking for a reality TV show, you know, this would have been the tent you would go to. How, you know, Wilderness Housewives or whatever it is. I don't. Sarah's answer is kick him out of the house. I don't want him around anymore. He will not be an heir with my son. And Abraham's response is that it grieves him very much. It's grievous because it's his son. And, and Abraham loves his son. And remember, Ishmael was born, though, because Abraham and Sarah stopped trusting God. He was born because they tried to do things in their own strength and they tried to come up with their own plan and, and God had promised a, a, a son through Abraham and Sarah. Well, Abraham and Sarah decided to go through Hagar. He slept with Hagar. She has a baby. And, and immediately after that son is born, after Ishmael is born, heartache begins. And Ishmael is the, is the product of a fleshly decision and I'm not trying to demean him. I'm not trying to say his life doesn't matter to God because I want to say unabashedly today that every child matters to God. Every life matters to God. Every baby matters to God. And I don't care under what circumstances that child was born. Every soul is important to God. Ishmael is important to God. And, you, and even though it may seem like an easy decision for Sarah because she's, she knows the circumstances, it's certainly not an easy decision for Abraham. He's grieved that Sarah would even suggest that they kick them out of the house. He loves his son. And, and yes, he's not the heir. He's not the one God promised. And he was the product of a bad decision from Abraham. But it is his son. But God does something unexpected. In verse 12, God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. I was expecting, I would expect God to come along and say, um, Don't listen to Sarah. You do what you're supposed to do. You're a father. You provide for your son. But God has a different purpose. And this could be a little confusing and it might even be a little bit, I mean, uh, head scratching on why is God doing this? Well, he tells Abraham, it's time to let Hagar and Ishmael go. 
Isaac's the promised son. Abraham's focus, it, it needed to be on Isaac. And in addition to that, God promised that he would, but, but he would make a great nation, though, of Ishmael. Meaning that God doesn't just kick them out and, and say, I won't provide for them anymore. No, he has a plan. And you, you might say, well, that's just wrong. A father should never abandon his family. And I, I, to, to that, I agree. I completely agree with that, but that's not all that's going on here. First of all, I'll just remind you that God said, I will provide for Ishmael. I will take care of Ishmael. I will make of him a great nation. So, so listen, even though God was telling Abraham, I want you to release Ishmael, God was also telling Abraham, I will provide for Ishmael. I will take care of his needs. He'll become a great nation. He won't be left just by himself. I will be his father. I'll still provide for him. And so, and the second thing is that, uh, that we, under, we have to understand that God, God does things we don't understand sometimes. He works in ways we don't understand. His ways are higher than our ways. And, and let me just remind you too that in all of this, this was God's plan for the Messiah. Like, this is a different circumstance than anything else going on in history. Is that God is trying to get this group of people, Israel, to the place where they're his people. They're representing him on earth. And eventually they produce the Messiah that would die on the cross for the sins of all mankind. This is unique circumstances. So before we just dismiss this as God being unkind, first, he's going to take care of Ishmael and he does. If we read the rest of the passage, they get out there and they, they think it's hopeless. They don't know where to go. And God provides water. And we know that God eventually takes Ishmael to find a wife. And he becomes a great nation. God takes care of him. But the most important thing here is that we don't always understand the way that God works. And redemption for mankind was dependent on this happening the way it was supposed to happen. These were his people and the recipients of his promise. God knew that Ishmael was going to be a hindrance if he stuck around. And so, like it or not, Ishmael had to go. And it's interesting because the Lord actually uses this account to illustrate what happens in the life of a Christian in Galatians 4. I'm going to ask you to turn over to Galatians 4 together. Galatians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament. I don't know if it helps you at all. On my Bible, it's page 755. Galatians chapter 4 in the New Testament. It's right after 2 Corinthians, right before Ephesians. And I want you to see that there are some parallels here to the story in Genesis 21. Galatians chapter 4 says in verse 21, Tell me, so he says, Tell me ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? So this, the context of Galatians is that the Galatians had been saved by faith. But there were those that were preaching the law, that they had to continue to keep the law if they wanted to continue keep being saved and pleasing God. And Paul is making it clear that the law has nothing to do with salvation. And he wants them to understand that, that the, that the Galatians are not bound to the law for salvation. In other words, well, I'll actually I'll explain that a little bit more. Look at verse 22. It says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. The one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Okay, so he had two sons. We know their names. What are their names? Isaac and Ishmael. One of them is the son of a bondwoman. Who would that be? One's the son of a free woman. Who would that be? 
Sarah, okay? So Sarah um, is, the, is the free woman. Um, Hagar is the bondmaid. And they have two sons. There's Isaac with Sarah. There's Ishmael with Hagar. And it's obviously referring to this situation we just talked about in Genesis 21. Look at verse 23. Look at the picture. But he who was of the bondwoman, who's that? Ishmael. The, who, he who was of the bondwoman is Ishmael, okay? Was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman is Sarah. Who's that? Who's the child? Isaac was by promise. So he immediately kind of sets the stage for us here. And he says that Ishmael represents that which is after the flesh. Because Abraham and Sarah, they, they, had, a, they had a decision. They made a choice to operate by the flesh. It produced a son named Ishmael. So he represents the flesh. Isaac, on the other hand, represents the spirit. Ishmael represents the law. Isaac represents grace. And there's a contrast here. And so Ishmael of the law, of the flesh, this is representative of when we try to do things in our own strength. When we try to make decisions in our own flesh, when we try to do things our way without God's plan. But Isaac is when we release those things to God and let him work like he wants to. Over there, Ishmael is the law. Over here, Isaac is grace. Look at verse 24. Which things are an allegory? Okay, now we're back in English class. An allegory is basically just a figure. It's a figurative story. So, so this God is intending for us to learn a lesson from this real-life event that means something for us. He says again in verse 24, which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, or Hagar, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. So the allegory here, the picture, is that, that Isaac and Hagar represent the law. Sinai represents the law. Jerusalem represents the law. And the idea is that it's on us to keep it. It's on us to perform it's, it's on my shoulders. The pressure is on me to make things happen. I've got to obey. I have to, I have to obey right down the line. I have to make sure I don't stray. I've got to keep the law. And in keeping the law, it makes me feel as if I'm in bondage. Because I'm in bondage to the law. I'm a spiritual slave. I'm always feeling the pressure to earn it with God. But he says, but grace is different. See, under grace, it's not what we do. It's what Christ has already done. It's not about me keeping it because I can't ever in my strength please God with my own works. I'm a sinner. So Jesus Christ came to die on a cross for my sins. The work is already done. And I simply have to trust his payment, receive it. And by faith, I can be saved. I can have a relationship with God. So I can choose to either live the Ishmael life in my own strength or I can choose to live the Isaac life, which is grace, and trust in God's strength. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, what is God's law now? It's not above a Christian. It's under a Christian. See, some men hold God's law like a rod of fear over Christians. 
And they say, if you sin, you will be punished with it. It is not so. The law is under, under a Christian. It is for him to walk on, to be his guide, his rule, his pattern. Law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us, nor the spirit which actuates us. You see, and there are many religions on this earth that are teaching you that your salvation and pleasing God is up to you keeping the things right in your life that you know need to be kept right. And yet what, what Paul is teaching here in Galatians is that it's impossible to keep the things right that you've got to keep right. You can't possibly do it on your own. You can't save yourself. The law is not something, but once you've been saved, the law is not something that's over you anymore. It's actually under you. It's simply there to help guide you like a path. Many religions, though, look at the law as a rod that strikes us and, and drives us, but really it's just a road that directs us. You know, the law isn't bad as a guide. But if we use the law to justify ourselves, we can't possibly do enough to please God. The work has been done by Christ. We place our trust in that work, and then the, we use the law as the guide for living. That's the way it's supposed to work. So Hagar and Ishmael represent the system of Jerusalem that's the bondage of the law. But Paul, in verse 26, look what he says. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So he's saying the system of religion you've been following in Jerusalem, it has been like something that's a pressure, a weight on your shoulders, and it keeps you in bondage. But there's a different Jerusalem now. This Jerusalem is above, and if you will submit to Christ's way, this Jerusalem, which is above, will no longer have you in bondage. It'll actually make you free. And that's the concept that he's giving giving here and in verse 28 we talked about this last week it says now we brethren as Isaac was are the children of promise Paul equates those that are saved uh, by grace with Isaac that's the Isaac life in that we've placed our faith in God's promises we've left our efforts we've placed our faith in him alone and here's where we see the allegory expressed look at verse 29 but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. See, Ishmael persecuted Isaac, mocked him, and he did it in a way that, our, that really is a picture, an allegory of the way that our flesh persecutes our spirit. Our flesh, listen, we have a built-in enemy to God's work in our lives you have a built-in enemy to God's work in your life, and it's called the flesh. And listen, it actively and hatefully works against you. Your flesh wants to prevent God from ever using you. Your flesh wants to keep you from experiencing God's promises. Your flesh laughs and mocks and makes fun of you when you do things God's way. Your flesh, you're, you're over here trying to trust God and trying to lean on his promises and obey his word. And over here, you've got your flesh, your Ishmael, and saying, you can't, do, you, you can't possibly trust that God's going to do that. Why don't you come over here and try a few things in your strength? You can't do that. God will never make that happen. It's not possible. And our flesh, our Ishmael, mocks us and laughs at us and persecutes us. And listen, you have all you'll ever need to serve and please God if you'll simply walk by faith and trust and obey him. 
But on the other hand, you also have everything in yourself that could destroy your ability to walk with God and please and trust and obey him. Because you carry around with you your flesh. And that flesh is always working against what God wants to do in your life. Here's what Paul said in Romans 7. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. In verse 22, he says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, that's Isaac, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. There are two laws at work. There's the law of the inward man, That is the work Jesus Christ has done by faith in your life. But you don't ever, until you shed this body at death or the rapture, you don't ever get rid of this flesh that works against you. We all have an Ishmael. Ishmael represents that flesh that wants nothing more than to see you fail as you attempt to live for God. And every Christian has received Christ by faith. And they think now that they've become heirs of promise, we're like Abraham, we're like party time. Man, it's going to be easy now. Life is going to be good. Every little thing I'm going to celebrate. We're heirs of the promise. It's going to get easy. It's sunshine and roses. And it's true that salvation does quicken your spirit. It allows you to have a walk with God. And there is joy and satisfaction like we talked about last week. You'll never get any other way. If you surrender your life to the supernatural, I'm telling you, the results of satisfaction are things that you can't ever get on your own. It's the best life. It is. But just like Abraham... The birth of your, our spirit through Christ doesn't mean we no longer have any obstacles. As a matter of fact, we still carry around with us everywhere we go a sinful flesh that mocks you at every turn. And our, our spirit indeed is willing, but the Bible says our flesh is weak. The Christian life is a battle. And it's a battle between your spirit and your flesh. So what was the answer here from Paul? Look at verse 30. Verse 30. He says, Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? That's a good place to go if you're fighting a battle, right? What saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Listen, Jesus Christ bought your your price. He paid for you. And you are no longer a slave. You are no longer under the direction of your flesh. I heard somebody say it this way. It's like if you are renting from a landlord and you've been paying rent for 10 years to the same landlord and someday that landlord sells that home to somebody else and now you have a new landlord and so you write out your check and you send it to the old landlord still. And month after month after month you keep sending your check to the old landlord and yet the house is under new management. And many Christians live that way and that we've been bought with a price 
and we have a new landlord. Jesus Christ now owns us. Our flesh doesn't own us anymore. We're not bondmen. We're not bondwomen. We're not slaves. And yet we're still every month writing checks to that, to that slave owner because we've so used to, to paying our bills to him and we're still choosing to live the life under Ishmael, under the flesh, when in reality we're not even owned by him anymore. Amen. And that's the message that I believe Genesis 21 is teaching us is that the answer to us serving Christ, following God, living the life that God wants us all to live is that it's time for Ishmael to go. Ishmael has to go. If Abraham was going to move forward, Ishmael had to be left behind. And I truly believe the reason that more of God's people aren't moving forward is because everywhere they go, they're dragging Ishmael behind them. And he's holding on to one leg or both legs, and they're just trying to move forward. But Ishmael, their flesh, that which represents our sin nature, they've never truly released him, and they're dragging him everywhere they go. But Paul says it's this simple. The son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. You're no longer owned as a slave. You're owned by Jesus Christ. So listen, it's time for Ishmael to go. The idea is that Ishmael has no place at the table. He's not included in the will. He has no right or inheritance. But far too many of God's people are trying to claim God's inheritance while letting Ishmael hold them back. It's killing your Christian life. And God is so very clear that no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the application there is that you can't say you live for the things of God over here with Isaac under grace, and yet still try to live your life trying to attain what the world has to offer. Either God is your priority or material is your priority. And far too many Christians say they serve God with their priorities. But as they try to move forward for God, Ishmael pulls them in the other direction. And when you're pulled two ways, friend, you are going nowhere. It's literally impossible to go two directions at once. You can't go north and south at the same time. You can't go east and west. But many Christians live their lives as if they can follow God and accommodate their flesh all at once. It's literally impossible to be in two places at once. You're either here or you're there. Yet how many times do we as God's people think we can follow God and yet still appease Ishmael at the same time? What our, te- what our text is saying to us is, Christian, listen, Christian, if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, you're under new management, and it's time to let Ishmael go. If you had, want to move forward for God, you're going to have to leave Ishmael for, behind. You either live for God or you follow your flesh. You cannot do both. It is time to let Ishmael go. What more Christians need to learn I believe, is the law of incompatible, incompatible behavior. And I've always thought that this principle is very important for the Christian life, and it makes a huge difference, yet it gets downplayed, and that the principle of incompatible behavior is this. You can't do right and wrong at the same time. So make it impossible to do wrong. See, Paul said it this way, cast out Ishmael. He also said it this way in Romans 13. He said, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. 
No, the reason that so many Christians are struggling with their flesh and their spirit is because they're making provision for their flesh every single day. And I'm just telling you, if you struggle with alcohol, it is time to go into your cabinet and take that and pour it down the kitchen sink. And if you struggle with alcohol and you drive by the liquor store and home from work every day, it's time to find a new route. If you struggle with alcohol, it's time to get rid of all of it because you say, I want to be an Isaac and I want to follow God, but I've got an Ishmael holding on to my legs and it's alcohol and it's time to get rid of it. If you struggle with smoking, it's time to throw the cigarettes out. Every time you get the urge to do it, do something incompatible with smoking, like jump in a swimming pool or go for a jog. If you struggle with fighting to control your tongue when somebody annoys you. So well, nobody in here would ever struggle with that one, sir. <laughs> you know, an incompatible behavior, what would make it impossible for you to, to bite back when somebody does something you don't like is to walk away and go to a different room. And you say, well, this is so basic. Why are we getting down to the basics? Because there are so many Christians in this world that haven't learned the basics when it comes to, to giving into your flesh. You're making provision for your flesh. You haven't learned to walk away. You haven't learned to not make provision for your flesh. You haven't learned the law of incompatible behavior. And you keep putting yourself right in front of it rather than getting away from it. And, you're, and you keep submitting to Ishmael. Uh, if you have a hard time waking up, I've said this before, do the opposite of laying down. The moment your alarm goes off, put your feet on the floor and stand up. Or give your wife a super soaker. I mean, whatever you want to do. I'm just telling you, sometimes we over-spiritualize things when really the reality is we just have to make a choice. It's, it's not easy for anybody to get up. Except for my dad. He gets up at like 4.15 every morning and I think he's lost his mind. But, except, for, you know, but you know, it's not easy to get up. It isn't. But you know, it makes it a lot harder to get up if I stay in bed. So the law of incompatible behavior tells me that if I'm standing up and I cannot also be lying down, no wonder so many Christians fail. They have a problem with something, but they don't separate themselves from it, from that temptation, and they keep falling right back into it. And I'm just telling you, it's time to cast out the bondwoman and her son. And it means that you need to do something that makes the actions of your flesh impossible. You can't do two things at once. You can't live for God and submit to your flesh at the same time. And it's time to put that principle to use in your life. If you can't follow the spirit and the flesh at the same time, it's time to let go of Ishmael. And I'm asking you this morning, what is your Ishmael? What's keeping you from advancing in your walk with God? What is it that hinders you from following God? Teenager, I know a lot of teenagers and their Ishmael is acceptance. And, I, and that's important to young people. You want to be accepted by your friends. You want to be accepted by your peers. But I know a lot of young people that have compromised things that they said they would never do because of this issue of acceptance. And as strong as the issue of acceptance is, if that's your Ishmael, it's time to let, let that go and say, God being pleased with me is more important than my friends being pleased with me. Moms, Thinking about moms, you know, listen, it's, it's not always about right and wrong. Sometimes it's about good and best. For moms, I mean, mom's schedules are full. Busy. You've got a lot on your plates, I know. 
Got a lot to do, a lot to take care of, and it seems almost overwhelming sometimes to get it all done. I understand that. Um, but for you, but listen, if you continually, your schedule interferes with your walk with the Lord, then it may be time to release a few things so that you can do those things which are most important. To, our, to men in this room, I've known far too many men who say they live for God and they do so publicly, but in their private lives, they can't look, cut loose from Ishmael. Pornography is destroying countless homes because men who claim to be of Abraham actually have not let go of Ishmael and it's keeping you, maybe somebody in this room, from becoming all that God wants you to be. Too many dads and husbands and sons have an Ishmael hidden on their phones, on their computer hard drives. And I'm telling you, it's mocking your desire to be what God wants you to be. And it's time to let it go. We've got Christians, maybe your Ishmael is worry. Maybe it's an attitude like worry. And if you imagine that you have to live this life in your strength and over here, you're trying your very best to take care of all the problems that come your way. And I'm telling you, Ishmael will destroy you. If you don't release your Ishmael of worry, you can't possibly handle life's pressure without faith in your father and a relationship with him. And it's time to let the Ishmael of worry go. I'm thinking about Christians with anger. Is there an Ishmael of anger in your life? We'd probably be shocked at how many people in rooms just like this across our country are bound by roots of bitterness and anger. And maybe they've been legitimately hurt. I get it, we all have. But an, an Isaac mindset means you leave those things in God's hand and you let him be the one who deals with people. An Ishmael mindset means you think, I've got to take matters in my own hands. I'm always looking for a way for retribution. I've got to say this. I've got to lash out and you get angry and you stay angry. And that bitterness is like a canker and it's eating away at your soul. That Ishmael, friend, unless you let the Ishmael go it will keep you from ever fulfilling God's promises for your life do you live your Christian life with an Isaac mindset or an Ishmael mindset an Isaac mindset does this God's in control I trust him I trust his plans and I will submit to his ways because they're better than mine and when you do guess what the result is according to Galatians it's freedom Freedom from bondage. But if you have an Ishmael mindset, you think I've got to be in control. If I want it done right, I've got to do it myself. I can't trust God because he may not do it like I want him to. And you know what the result of that is every time, according to Galatians 4? It's bondage. Every time. There's no place more miserable than in the bonds of sin. And I'm here to tell you, and I've said it already before, but I want to say it again. It's time to let Ishmael go. For some, this literally is your mindset about salvation. You've been raised Ishmael, which means that you think it's up to you, that you think it's up to your works, and you think that your salvation and you pleasing God someday is up, up to you pleasing him with your works. Except it's for by grace are you saved, not if, and by faith. It's not, it's not of works. It's the gift of God. And if, if it was of, of works, you would boast about it. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy we are saved. 
So it's time to get rid of that Ishmael mindset in thinking that salvation is up to you because it's not. The work has already been done. If it wasn't, Jesus wouldn't have hung there on the cross and said it is finished. But he did. And he did everything you could possibly ever need somebody to do to save your soul. It's been done. And Ishmael will continue to work and say, God, I've got to keep my salvation and I, I've got to do enough to please him and hopefully the day I die, I've done enough good works to outweigh my bad works. It's not possible. You couldn't possibly do enough to overcome your sin and it keeps you in bondage your whole life. But if you've ever placed your faith in Christ and let him do the work that he's already done, I'm telling you, there's no more freedom, no better freedom than when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And some in here have brought the bondage of salvation in with them and you feel it every day. And I'm telling you, the work has been done. It's time to place your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And listen, when the service ends, we have an invitation. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and truly trusted him to save your soul, I'm telling you, you could walk right down here and I'd meet you right here. And I could have somebody show you from God's word how you could be saved. And you came in here in bondage, but you could leave in freedom. It's time to let Ishmael go. It's like soccer. Sometimes you're going to have to give up some ground to gain ground. And there's something in your life you're going to have to give up to, to, to move forward. And it's got a hold of your ankles and you're just dragging it along. Pretty soon you're going to go so tired, you're going to stop moving altogether. Ishmael can be tough to let go of. It was tough for, for Abraham. It grieved him, remember? It was hard. He didn't want to, but he realized, listen, I want you to hear this. Abraham realized that the life God promised was greater than everything he had to let go of. The life that God was promising was better than everything Abraham had to let go of. And you can't enjoy the Isaac life until you're willing to let go of Ishmael. This week, week Aaron and I, we went down to to the river and we were on the trail down by the, the greenway down there. And we took Jace, and we were just going to walk because running is not really on my agenda these days. But So we were walking, and Jace was with us. And, of course, we started, and Jace was like, after about a half mile, he's, his face is all, it was hot. His face is all red. He's just like, this is, you know, not for me. And I said, I feel you, son. I feel the same way. So... But we, but we, so we started playing a little bit of game with him. We said, okay, you run ahead. Run ahead to that, the shadow of those trees up there. You see the far shadow of the trees, you run up to there, and then we'll catch up with you. So that, he's much more excited about that. So he goes and he runs ahead of us, and he goes to the shadow, and he gets there, and he lays down in the grass. And then I said, chuggers, and he stood up immediately. So... After about the third time, he, he was like, I'm waiting a while for my parents. So he picks up a big stick. And, and so he catches, or we catch up to him. Now he's carrying a stick, which is what a boy does when he's bored and wants to do something else. So we, he's running ahead. At one point, Aaron and him started jogging. And I saw him because he really wanted to hold on to this stick. It was like a giant slingshot shape. And I know in his mind, he thought, I could take this home and I could destroy one of my sisters with this slingshot. So he picks it up, and he's running with it, and they're jogging. And they stop, and then they start again. And after a while, I see Jace, and he's running with the stick. I see him look down, 
And I see him look up at Aaron, and he takes the stick in his hand, and he goes, and he throws it into the grass. Because he knew he couldn't keep jogging with his mom the way he wanted to, unless he got rid of that stick. And it's a simple allegory, but it's one that really shows us a Christian life principle. And that an eight-year-old knows he can't really jog with his mom unless he gets rid of Ishmael. And yet, Christian after Christian in this room, you've been trying to serve God in your flesh your whole life, and yet you've got an Ishmael and it's holding onto your ankles, and you've never become all that you're supposed to be because you won't just let Ishmael go. It's time to let Ishmael go. Because you will never be all you're supposed to be for God until you learn to let go of those things that are holding you back. You'll never enjoy winning until you learn to lose what holds you back. And sometimes you have to lose to win. But I'm telling you, winning for God is worth whatever it is he asks you to lose. It's just a stick. Will you let Ishmael go today? Would you do that? If you don't know that you're saved and you've been holding on to your works, would you this morning let that Ishmael go and come over here where Isaac is and place your faith in the finished work of Christ? It's available to you today. It's available to all of us. And all it is, all it takes is you being willing to let whatever Ishmael is in your life go that's holding you back from being all God wants you to be. Would you let Ishmael go? Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to encourage you to let it go. What's holding you back? What's keeping you from being what you're supposed to be for God? What have you been holding on to for so long? And it trips you up over and over and over. I'm telling you, what you have to gain by giving up that Ishmael is far greater than whatever you're going to have to lose. And it's time to let Ishmael go. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Today's the day. If you're not saved, you'd like to be. Today's the day of that too. You could be saved this morning. If you'd come, I, I could show you from, Bible, from the Bible or find somebody in our church right here for just a few minutes. Show for, straight from God's word how you can be saved. Would you do that this morning? Maybe let that Ishmael go. Christian, is there an Ishmael that's keeping you from serving God? It's time to let it go. Father, pray that you'd have your will and way in our lives. Use this text and the truth to make a difference. God, we submit to whatever it is that you have for us. And I pray for those in this room that have not placed their faith in Christ, that you bring them to a point of submission. They'd be willing to just step forward and by faith receive you in the finished work of Christ. And leave no longer a bondman or a bondwoman, but a free person. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.